be in the book of Isaiah, and we'll be in uh, chapter 63, if you want to turn there in a Bible with me, please. Isaiah chapter 50, or 63, Isaiah 63. Um, Alistair mentioned we'll have a potluck next uh, Sunday after church, uh, and just a great reporting time for our Belize mission team. Uh, it's going to be an awesome opportunity there, just hope to have, you can bring things to that potluck, um, and uh, we'll have a great fellowship together. Um, one of the things we want to make sure you're aware of also, though, is this coming Saturday is um, Julie Mason's memorial service, and uh, that is also going to be um, uh, a fellowship afterwards, and uh, Keith Bradley is going to be uh, catering that time with some great food, which he always does. Love to have you be a part of that, but uh, they're asking, the family's asking that, that we would bring the desserts. So if you are going to be coming to that, if you would uh, prepare a dessert to bring and share, uh, for Saturday, that would be great, and then a dessert to share on Sunday would be awesome too. Okay, that'd be fine. Or, or a side dish. There's a, a, a flyer in your bulletin. You can look more into that. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a moment just to uh, to stop and pause and uh, and to pray together as uh, as God's body, as His church, and His family, and uh, set our minds and hopes and hearts on Him. So let's let's join in prayer together. Father, we we thank you for this this day. We thank you for this day as an opportunity that we can set aside time to be united in Christ, to come together and to gather together and, and not be those who are in the habit of not gathering, but those who want to come and gather together as the body. God, in the fellowship that we share here is to be sweet. God, I pray that you would help us to be transparent, to be vulnerable with one another. God, that ultimately we would bear each other's burdens, God, that we would care for each other well, even even here on this day. And then, God, as we go throughout the week, as we um, interact with each other, may we meet needs then as well. God, we are to be a body who, who cares deeply about one another. And that, God, uh, you've said that as we love one another, the world will see that we are your disciples. God, we want the world to know that we are your disciples. And, God, we want the world to know that we are yours, that you are our king, that you are our God, that you are the one who has given us hope and rest and peace through offering your son on the cross. God, today I know there are many here who maybe were rushed out the door this morning. God, maybe there was even a battle at home whether or not to get here today. God, you know all of those things that are going on. God, I, I just pray that you would help quiet our hearts right now. That God, the enemy wants so, so badly to divide, to create division and discouragement anger and bitterness. But God, we, we've been called to remove those things from ourselves. God, may we come embracing the forgiveness and love of Christ, and as we embrace love and forgiveness, that we would offer that to one another. But God, today as we come to hear from your word, as we come to worship you, that our hearts would be set on you, on the things above. God, as we even come today bringing our own agenda, or our own desires, our own preferences, maybe even looking with a skeptical eye at this, uh, this message or the songs or, it's, or the people here, God, I pray that you would help to quiet those hearts, that you would, you would help reveal that that heart is also a heart that needs Jesus. God, today as your word goes forth, we know that your spirit will go before it. <clears throat> so Lord, we ask that your spirit would be in our midst today, <clears throat> convicting us of sin and God moving us to a place of humility and obedience and repentance and faith. We desire to trust in you. God, for those who are in our midst today or, or, or absent today because of illness or 
um, or something going on in their lives, God, that's a heavy burden, we, we lift them up to you. Whether it be an ailment, God, physical or emotional, God, spiritual, whatever it might be, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are struggling. We pray that you would be near and drawing them nearer to yourself, God, that you would be making your comfort known through your presence. And God, through the power of your word and your Holy Spirit, that God, they would be growing closer to you, becoming more and more mature, being conformed into the image of the Son. And God, that's what we pray for today and our time together, that we would quiet and pause our hearts, that we would slow our pace, that our desire would be to actually see you. We love you. God, we thank you also, as Hoyt mentioned earlier, we pray and thank you that our Belize team is back. And God, we're so excited to hear uh, of the fruit that happened there and the fruit that will continue to happen within our church family. God, for the Love Does Week that happened last week, Lord, all the, all the, uh, the ways we served our community and loved people. God, we know that people were loved. People were talked, uh, talked to about Jesus. God, it's, it's our desire to proclaim him, both here and among the nations. We love you and we commit this time to you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Isaiah 63 here in just a minute. Um, I, today we're, we're going to kind of finish up and put a bookend on our sermon series, Have You Not Read? Um, and we've been going through that the last four weeks, and actually last week, uh, Easter Sunday, we, we talked about the resurrection and how uh, it was prophesied that Christ would rise. And then we talked about the impact of the resurrection, like the reason. We, we asked, why did he have to rise? What was the reason Christ rose and we went through several different reasons there. But one of those reasons was that he rose so he could rise and rule. You remember that? He rose from the dead out of the grave so he could rise, that he could ascend into heaven. And when he ascends into heaven, that he would, he would rule forevermore. Amen? And, and there's a lot of implications to that. And so today we're going to take uh, one step further in our prophecy series. Uh, again, we've been looking at, have you not read what was written in, the, in Moses, right? What was written in the Psalms and what was written in the prophets regarding the Messiah, regarding Jesus Christ, and, and that he, he is indeed who he said he was, and he is the promised one of God, the one that was the Redeemer to come and to, and to give himself as a sacrifice for our sins, that we could, through faith in Christ, be made whole and right and righteous, not on our own, but imputed from him, and we would enjoy him forever. And so there must be a forever aspect to this. I think sometimes we like to think, well, okay, God's taking care of it. It's all good, and we're going to bide our time here, and eventually we'll be in heaven with him, and we don't like to think about what will happen to the rest of the people who don't know him. Uh, today, just for a disclaimer, it's going to be a little bit bloody. And, uh, and as we do that, as we read through this, I want us to know that, there, that in the middle of bloodshed, in the middle of judgment, there is hope. There's always hope coupled in judgment. We see the scriptures say the wages of sin is what? Death. But, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see how judgment is there and is necessary over sin. But there is hope and redemption. There is restoration through the free gift of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I was reminded actually um, as I read through the commentaries that the battle hymn of the Republic was written in 1861. Remember this was during the what? The American Civil War, Right? I'm just going to read the first couple lines to this, and it's going to be sound very familiar here in a moment when we read Isaiah 63. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. This is a, a, a song of, of hope and of faith, but this is a song that in the middle of hope and faith, recognizes that there is going to be judgment. 
that there has to be judgment on those who have not believed, on those who have turned away and, and risen against the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to look at, have you not read what happens when he returns? What is going to happen when he returns? And as I go through this text today and we go through our points, my hope for us is that we would be encouraged, that we would be strengthened, that we would, we would have joy and hope that just overflows inside of us because the Lord Jesus will rule and reign once and for all. That is our hope. But as you are here today, as you, as you hear this read, I know that it's going to sound like, oh man, this guy only talks about hell and blood all the time. No, Jesus wants you to understand the wages of sin is death. And every person has rebelled against God and turned their way against God. Everyone, no one is good, not one. But God offers himself in the form of Christ dying on the cross for you. He shed his blood in your place for you so that you could, have, you could avoid having your blood shed by him. That's the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going I'm to pray once more for us, and we're in Isaiah chapter 63. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. Let's, let's pray one more time. Father, we, we trust this time to you. We entrust your word, God, that it was going to, to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, that, God, you will let it, let it change us and challenge us and shape us and conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus. God, I pray that you would, you would speak through me, that it would be more of you and less of me, we want to be humbled by you, taught by you. And God, we want to know the hope that is found in Christ Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So today we will be looking at some prophecy regarding the return of the Lord, the coming of God's kingdom one day. There will be a day, right, on that day. So with me in Isaiah 63, if you would read with me uh, 1 through 8. The question is asked, Who is this coming from Edom in crimson-stained garments from Borza? This, uh, this one who is splendid in, appar- uh, in apparel, uh, striding in his formidable might. It is I. That was a question now, the, the, the answer. It is I proclaiming vindication, powerful to save. Well, the question again, why are your clothes red and your garments like the one who treads the winepress? The answer, I trampled the winepress alone. And no one from the nations with, was with me. I trampled them in anger and ground them underfoot in my fury. Their blood spattered on my garments, and all my clothes were stained. Verse 4, For I planned the day of vengeance, and the year of my redemption came. I looked, and there was no one to help. And I was amazed that no one assisted. So my arm accomplished victory for me, and my wrath assisted me. I crushed nations in my anger. I made them drunk with my wrath, and poured out their blood on the ground. What a fun day to start church, isn't it? It's a great message. We just can't wait to read more about this. Well, I hope that's your attitude. I want to see more. I want to read more. I want to get a full picture of what's going on here. But as we look at this, we see a couple things. We see he's proclaiming vindication, but he is also powerful to save in the end of verse 1. He's proclaiming vindication, that there's going to be a day, there's going to be a reckoning. And, And if we look at point number one today, when he comes, this is what we know. He makes all things right. That's number one. He makes all things right. Now, as as much as we have an aversion to this kind of language in Scripture and and kind of think that's icky, I I think we say that, but then we go watch all of our murder shows on TV 24-7 every day, every week. It bloods all over the place. But when we look at this, there's something personal about it. Because the Lord God can look at your heart, and the Lord God can look at my heart, and He does what? He rightly judges it. 
He rightly judges. He sees exactly where we are. He sees exactly what we have believed or what we have failed to believe. He knows. And the promise for you and I who have put our faith and hope in Jesus is that when he returns, he will make all things right. You know, I think that's an issue we have. If we really thought about this and talked about this at our core, if we look at the world around us, we see so much injustice. It's everywhere. It's every, isn't it everywhere? It's within our own families, right? We, we treat each other unjust or unfair. My kids constantly argue about this being unfair and that being unfair. They want it to be fair. They want it to be right. They want justice to be served. I say that when I'm driving to town and someone's going under the speed limit. I don't want justice to be served, right? Never when I'm going over it, though, right? I see it in our community as, as there is maybe corruption or bad decisions made or, or decisions made basically for per personal interest or personal gain rather than the betterment of the whole. And then if you take it further than a community level, where do we go? Nationally? Like, holy cow. We're like, what are, is there any hope for us in our government? Is there any lack of corruption anywhere? Does anyone care about the people, we the people? No, and, and we just long for justice. Now, that's, a, that's an example, and we take that pretty personal. But if you go beyond the United States, we're talking about nations who could care less about even, even elections or rule. These people just have guns and go make their will known, and they just kill everybody that gets in their way. I, I mean, that, that's worldwide happening. So at the core of who we are, I think you and I would say, we long for justice. We long for things to be made right that are not right. And, and so the hope is this. The encouragement is this. When Christ returns, He will make all things right. Did I get an amen? Amen, right? We don't like the picture it paints, but He will make all things right. And when we see this blood splatter all over his robe, we're like, oh, that's gross. Really, you got to do that? The wages of sin is death. We're going to go on to the next part here in just a minute, but I want to look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. This is, this is a response. So the question has been asked, like, who is this one that's coming? Why is your robe all bloody? What is going on here? Then the description is, I'm coming, and in my wrath and my anger, I'm going to make justice. And then, and then the response is, again, a description of, of how the response of what he's seen says in verse 7, then I will make known the Lord's faithful love and the Lord's praiseworthy acts because of all the Lord has done for us, even the many good things he has done for the house of Israel, which he did for them based on his compassion and the abundance of his faithful love. He said, they are indeed my people, children who have not been disloyal, and he has become their Savior. See, when we have a right relationship with God, when we have a right understanding with who God is and, and that His justice has been satisfied against me on Jesus, then He is my Savior. He is my rescuer. All I see is Him who is filled with compassion and awe and grace and that, that I would never want to be disloyal to Him because He has been so loyal to me and He has become my Savior. That's why when he comes in the day of vengeance in verse 4, we see that it's also the, uh, the year of redemption. It's coupled. The wages of, sin is death, of, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, there's a day of vengeance, a day of justice, and it will be absolutely just. No one will get what they don't deserve except you and I who have come to him in faith and let, and let the... The, the blood that Christ has shed on the cross be enough for us. 
We won't be getting what we deserve. We'll be getting grace and mercy from God. So we see both the phrases, the day of vengeance and the year of my redemption in this text. And although the day of vengeance is not valid for men, we, we cannot properly carry out vengeance. God can appropriately and morally carry out such vengeance. And, and to speak of God's anger does not mean necessarily that it's God's anger or automatically imply that it's his haste or a lack of thoughtfulness. You think about that. We think, oh, God just came and smited everybody. But before that, he put his wrath on the Son of God for you. That was his plan. That was his compassionate, grace-filled love that he poured himself out for you and I, that God's wrath was poured out on Jesus and Christ's blood was poured out for you where you deserved and where I deserved. And for those who reject and reject and reject and those who resist and resist and resist and those who make themselves their own God and go their own way, there will be justice. There will be blood because the wages of sin is death. But it is not something that is hasty or a lack of thoughtfulness. Judgment is in God's divine prerogative. And, and we have to see where there's a morally good vengeance. There's a morally good equal of redemption. It makes a tie with judgment by acknowledging that there is and can be redemption through Jesus Christ our Lord. Without that, without that tied to this vengeance, all we see is God's wrath. It's no wonder people don't want anything to do with God. Sometimes people make him out just to be this horrible person that just kills everybody. That's not true. He's so loving, he killed himself for you. He didn't deserve that. You and I didn't deserve that. But God loved you that much. But he is still the one that's faithful and true. He's still the one that goes forth with righteousness and justice. I want to see the book of Revelation, if you want to turn there with me. Back. Last book of the Bible, all the way back. I know, you're like, now we're getting into Revelation. Oh no, what's going to happen here? Woo. Revelation 19, we'll start in verse 11. Remember, this is prophecy we're talking about, prophecy about the one that is to come and the return of the Lord. So where is this fulfilled? Well, we see it fulfilled one day, but it's described in Revelation as a vision given to John so we would see that who this is talking about. Beginning in verse 11 of Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened and, and there was a white horse and its rider was called Faithful and True. You see that? He is faithful and true. Hold on to that. And with justice, he judges and makes war. With justice. He does it rightly. In verse 12, his eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. And he had the name written that no one knows except he himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came out of his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod, and he will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has the name written on his robe and on his thigh. What is it? King of kings and Lord of lords. Now pause there. This, this is a revelation of that day when Christ will return and in judgment, but he does so as the one that's faithful and true. He does it with justice that you and I could never, ever put out on our people, on ourselves. We can never do it rightly, but he can. He, with justice, judges and makes wars. And his robe is dipped in blood. We saw that in Isaiah 63, didn't we? 
And I talked about this. What, what is that blood that we're looking at? And I mentioned this in Sunday school briefly. If you think about Christ, his robe dipped in blood, and the imagery is that behind him are the saints, all, all of us who have believed. And what do our robes look like? They're white and clean, right? So, so there's two ways to look at the, the blood dipped and dripped uh, robe of Christ. One is in wrath. That if we look at the, the blood dipped, soaked, bloody cloak of Jesus, what we see is, is the spattered blood of all who receive just judgment. That they, the wages of sin is death and their blood is now splattered and all over the sun. Why is it not on the saints? Because he, they, he did it alone. He alone judges. He alone is worthy. He does it all by himself. But the other side is looking at it from our point of view. Looking at it from, from those who he has rescued from sin and death and rescued from blood being shed. When we look at the Lord Jesus and we see his robe dipped in blood, what we see is that he, with his own blood, paid for our sin. He did it all on his own. And how do we know it's all on his own? Because there's not an ounce or drop of blood on any of our robes. That through faith in Christ, we can be made clean and pure and right with God. So on one side, you look at the blood of Christ on his robe, and it is the blood that is from judgment of all who did not believe. And on the other side, we look in faith and look at the blood on the robe and say, that's the blood that was shed for me, so I didn't have to have any blood shed. And I, in faith, I trust in him and what he has done and what he has accomplished, because he is the one that's faithful and true. He is the one who, who with justice declares war and judges. He is the one that's name's called the Word of God. His name is called the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the one we worship. He's the one we adore. He's the one that has rescued those who would put their faith in Him. Praise God. He is going to come, and when He comes, He's going to make all things right. I know it's hard to stomach some of that, right? It's hard to stomach what that looks like. Maybe for more, more of us than some, right? Not just some of us. Maybe more of us like, oh, I don't like this morbidness. But we must see, we must see, and, and Christ makes sense of it, that our hope is always coupled with judgment. The warning is that people should put their trust in God and not in themselves. We hope, and it's a hope that we share with the nations as well. Paul said it in Romans 1 and verse 5, he says, through him we've received grace and apostleship in order to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. Like, we need to tell people, right? That's, that's the message now. Like, if we can have hope in Jesus Christ, we need to make sure the people of the nations know, hey, there's hope in Jesus Christ. Don't end up as a splatter on his robe. Let his blood cover you instead of your blood cover him. That's the message of the gospel, the truth that there's hope in Jesus Christ. And why do we share that? Why do we share that hope? Well, Paul goes on in Romans chapter 8, and he says this, because those who are in Christ, right? For those who are in Christ, there is now what? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Woo, praise Jesus. I got, when I am in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no judgment. There is no justice of God anymore to be had on me through my blood. It's all been done through him. And we can celebrate that. That's the celebration that, that he's made everything right for me through Jesus Christ. And when he returns, God forbid, there are going to be those who have rejected him and pushed him away and said, I don't want anything to do with your blood. He will have everything to do with their blood then. 
And their blood will be on their heads and it will be on his robe. Because he will make war and he will judge rightly and he will be just. But for you and I who have been set free from sin and death, our hope is in God's justice that's been put on Christ and he will make everything right. Amen? Number two, when he returns, he will be our eternal king and priest. So I kind of wanted to build this. I tried to make this so it built. He's coming back and he's going to make everything right. It's like, yes, there's going to be a judge that says that's wrong and that's right and he's going to take care of that. But more than that, he's going to be our eternal king. Like he, Remember his name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not just coming as a judge to say, all right, I took care of it. Now go about your business. No, we will be about now his business. Turn with me to Psalm 110, if you would. Psalm 110. This is a, another prophecy regarding the return of Christ. It's the Lord Yahweh, God the Father, speaking to the Lord, His Lord, Adonai. And it's, his, it's the anointed one, it's Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 1, This is the declaration of the Lord, that is Yahweh, to my Lord, that is Adonai, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What's he offering the son? Everything. Lordship over everything, right? He says, the Lord will extend, this is Yahweh, will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, rule over your surrounding enemies. Your people will volunteer on your day of battle in holy splendor from the womb of the dawn. The dew of your youth belongs to you. The Lord has sworn, sworn an oath and will not take it back. Here's the oath. You, Adonai, you are priest forever according to the pattern of Melchizedek. Now we'll stop there for a minute there. We see that he'll be king and he'll be priest. And then at the last part of this, verse 5, it's another response. And This is the response of Adonai now. Here's what he says. He says, the Lord is at your right hand. So Adonai is saying, I am at your right hand. And he will, he will, Adonai, will crush the kings of the day in his anger. He will judge the nations, heaping up corpses, corpses. He will crush leaders over the entire world. He will drink from the brook of, uh, by the road, and therefore, and therefore he will lift up his head. Uh, this is talking about his kingship and his priesthood. So yes, there's judgment there. There's, there is a, a justice coming out of God, but, but here we see that there is a kingship coming out of him, that he will be given authority to rule over the kings. He will crush. He will judge nations. right? He will crush kings. He will crush leaders. We understand that justice, when justice of God comes, it will come against those who say, I'm, I'm in charge. I'm a leader. Look at what I've set up. Look at what I've amassed for myself as power and majesty and splendor. And whether that is a big K king, like a king of a nation, or whether that is you or I sitting on our own throne saying, I'm king, he will come and crush. Because he is the eternal king, and we are not, and there is no man and no woman in humanity that will ever be the eternal king except for Jesus, the Lord's anointed. So he asked the question. So let's talk about the kingship here. In Psalm 2, we see this, this revelation of Christ and, and the people against Christ. It says, why then do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? You, we've, said, we've talked about this so many times. You understand, like, like kings are in their, in their um, own silliness and their confusion and, and in their non-acknowledgement of Christ as king. They are pushing him away. Say, no, no, I can be king. I'm going to be ruler. I'm going to be the one that takes charge here. You're not, God. Let, I'm, I can do what I want. 
And, and the question is, why are you doing that? Why are you raging against the king? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Does that sound like a good idea to you? Based on what we have seen and the blood that has been shed or that will be shed? No, that does not seem like a good idea. And they joke, let's tear off their chains and throw off their ropes off of us. They, they feel trapped by the king. They feel trapped by the Lord. They feel trapped like he, he wants to make me obey. Well, he knows what's best. The one enthroned in the heavens laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. We ought to be terrified. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. What's coming against any king? Anyone that sets themselves up as king? What's coming against that? The Lord Jesus. The King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will shatter your kingdom and he will shatter their kingdom like that shatters pottery. It will be like nothing. And he will take care of it. It goes on though. So there's a charge to us in verse 10 in Psalm 2. Here, what does he say? He says, so now kings, be wise. Kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or He will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. Or His anger may ignite at any moment. What's the, what's the wisdom? Turn from your own ways. Pay homage to the Son. Give Him the reverence and the awe that, that is due to Him. He's King and you're not. And I love the last, last line of, verse, of this verse in Psalm uh, 2. All who take refuge in Him are happy. You, think, you see, we think we can be happy on our own. We think we can find our own happiness apart from God when we set up our little kingdom. But God, as the eternal king, will have to come against every little kingdom and every big kingdom, and he will crush it and shatter it. And only those who have taken refuge in him will be or are happy. So he's talking about this, this judgment, but he's talking about the shattering of the kings of the earth. Why? Because he is the eternal king. This is Christ claiming his, his place rightfully, that he is the king. But he's also a priest. Remember in our text in Psalm 110, he says, you, the Lord has sworn an oath, and he says, you are priest forever, according to the, the um, pattern of Melchizedek. Well, there was no king in Israel that was ever a priest. Priests and kings were different. And now we have one who's going to reign as king and priest. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in Hebrews, we're going to find this, I'll read through this. He is a priest it says, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people. So in matters pertaining to God, there is someone who stands before God for the people. That sounds pretty great, actually. Like, I, at least somebody's got my back, right? And, and it's, it's for the people to offer both gifts and to offer sacrifices, right? The wages of sin is death. So there's, there's blood that's going to be shed. There's, there's sacrifices that are going to be made on your, yours and my behalf, by a priest to God for our sin. Thank you that there's someone who stands before me and God for my sins. He's able to deal, deal gently, it says, with those who are uh, ignorant and who have gone astray, since he also is clothed in weakness. This is talking about the human 
judge who's clothed in weakness, right? Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as the people. So he has to do business here first, and then he can go before God and do business for us. That was the Old Testament pattern. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron was in the same way. So here we go. We see there's a shadow of something that's greater. In the same way, Christ. Christ did not exalt himself or become a high priest, but God who said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he also says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. He's raising up Jesus. So we see in Psalm 111 that this Messiah is going to be a priest forever. And now we see in Hebrews the fulfillment of that priest forever is in who? Jesus Christ. And it says during his earthly life, he offers. So what did he do? He stands and offers something to God on our behalf. He offers prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. God, Jesus Christ, of course, is not, he doesn't need to make purification for his own sins. He goes with, with ultimate reverence and ultimate authority and ultimate worthiness to the Father and appeals to him. And although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And it says in verse 9, after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for those who obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Listen, his work, the Christ's work, when we talk about him being an eternal king, our hope is that he's going to be the one that reigns rightly. There's no king on earth that's worthy. There's no king on earth that will ever do that perfectly, but he will shatter those kings and he will reign as king and he will do it perfectly. But he will also do it perfectly as priest. And his work as priest is to appeal to God for us as a, as a sacrifice and offering. Aren't you glad Jesus has done that for us? And that, and that offering that he made, the work of the cross, is not something that's just, just once and done, which it is, but it is a continual work that continually covers, continually intercedes, continually goes before, and continually covers us. Amen? That's what he does as priest. Our work, though, our work is to believe. Our work is to put our hope in him and our trust in him and when we do, we will know a peace that we have never known and a joy we have never known because we have yielded our hearts to the rightful King of Kings and the priest that intercedes on our behalf. Finally, number three, when he returns, when he returns, he will have dominion and we will have peace. He will have dominion and we will have peace. This is not a localized king. So this is not one that just said, hey, I'm going to come and judge and make all things right, and then I'll let you have it. But he said, I'm also going to come, and I'm going to be king and priest for you, but not just localized for you who heard of me and kind of are near me. He is to have dominion over everything, and dominion over everyone. Turn to the book of Daniel, if you would. Daniel. It's after the Psalms and some of the major prophets or the, the larger books of the prophecy. <clears throat> Right after Ezekiel is Daniel. And Daniel chapter 7 is where we're going to be. By the way, I, I want to just put on there a note for you. Um, I got a flyer in the mail for a prophecy conference. It's up at First Baptist in Medford. It's on, I think, the 29th of April, this coming, this month. Um, I just found my calendar was clear that day. I'm going to try to go to that. 
I think it's going to be very helpful. So if that's something that interests you and you, you would want to go to that, see me after church today or, or call me or email me tonight, and uh, I would love to be able to take a group up from our church to this conference and be encouraged in, the, in just a totality of prophecy. We've, we've touched a, a tiny, tiny bit of it the last four or five weeks, but uh, it could be a great opportunity. So see me about that. But we're in Daniel, chapter 7. Uh, when he returns, he's going to have dominion, and, and we will have peace. So Daniel, chapter 7, beginning at verse 13. So we've seen he's a judge, right? He's a right judge. He's a priest and a king, and now he's over all. Verse 13 says this, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like the Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. Then he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, so that those of every people, every nation, and every language should serve him. There's no one left out there, by the way. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Praise God that that's, that's the king in his kingdom, and that dominion is so wide-stretching. Wide it's, it's eternal, and it, it's everlasting dominion. It's over everything. Every people, every nation, every language would serve him. We see this prophecy fulfilled and realized uh, in, the, in the coming one of Christ in Matthew chapter 24. I'll read that to you. Beginning in verse 29, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This is a scary time. Then the sign of the Son of Man. What are we talking about? <whistles> Daniel chapter 7. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn. Can you imagine that? Like, uh-oh, what did we do? We didn't trust in Him and now here He comes. And they will see all the peoples of the earth will mourn and all the peoples of the earth will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. They will know it's uh-oh. They will not be like, oh, who's this fool? Who's this, who's this coming? And, you know, another one wants to try to get into our dominion. They will know. They will know. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet and, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from, from one end of the uh, sky to the other. This is, this is God coming in great glory and great power. And, and we know that, that he will be exalted. And, and I think there's this disconnect because we see that he, he died and he rose from the dead. And, and we celebrate that on Easter Sunday, right? We celebrate that he rose victoriously and triumphed over the grave. So you and I will not be bound by death if we have faith in him, that, that we will have life because he lives. There's a triumph there. But he ascended into heaven. And it's kind of like, well, now we're kind of at it again. And the earth's kind of like it was when he came except we have a hope in Christ. But there's a bigger hope, a deeper hope. This, this is not forgotten that he will be exalted. But Philippians 2 says this, that when Jesus humbled himself, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Is this future or past? It's past. This has already happened, right? He's already become obedient to the point of death on the cross. He's already risen from the grave victoriously, conquering Satan, sin, and death. And, and now he's risen into the heavens to sit at the right hand of the Father. And one day he will come again. Well, this is what will one day. For this reason, God highly exalted him. He gave him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone. That's why when they see him coming, they're like, uh-oh. They're in mourning. 
Why? Because now they're found on their knees before God Almighty, and there's nothing they can do to stop His coming. There's nothing they can do to fight Him. He is not just another one to come against their land. He is the one who will be exalted for all eternity because He is God's Messiah. And how does He come? Turn to Isaiah chapter 11. We'll kind of end in the book we started in. Isaiah chapter 11. What does he, what's he look like? What's his character look like? And what is he going to usher in? This is so important for you and I. As, we, as you and I are here and we hear hope, we hear that as Christ returns, he's going to, to have an everlasting dominion. Right? It's going to rule over everyone. It's not one corner of the earth that will be, still be hidden from him. Not one human heart that will still be wondering, who, who is this? Every, he'll have dominion over everyone. And that dominion will have judgment we've seen and righteousness and justice. And he will be a king and he will be a priest for us. And when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, there will be peace. There will be peace. What do people want? You know, Miss America pageants, I pray for peace, right? It's, it's all, oh, I want peace, world peace. That's what we all want. No, they don't. They want their own heart. They want their own way. And, and if people continue to want their own way and desire their own way and fight for their own way, there will never, ever be peace. But for you and I who have, who have come to Christ and said, I, I know no other way but to bow my heart and to bow before you, you're the one. You're the only one who's worthy to bow before. You're the only one who's worthy to be worshipped. You're the only one who's worthy because you're right when you judge. It's with truth you judge. I, I thought I knew truth, but I didn't know truth. You know truth. And you're going to be king. You're going to shatter my kingdom. You're going to shatter every king's kingdom. And you'll reign as king. And you'll be priest. You'll be the one that continues to intercede before God on my behalf. Because I've hoped in you and my hope is in you. And guess what? When my hope is in you, I don't sit here wondering, I hope it works out. Because that is not peace. When my hope is in Him, I am settled at peace because He is going to have dominion over everything eternally. And we will have peace in Him. So Isaiah 11, 5-9 is our last text of the day. It says that the description, as He comes, righteousness will be a belt around His hips. We're so leery about the rulers that we have over us. We're so leery. Maybe you're leery about your friend who has a weird agenda or your boss or your your, maybe your pastor, he comes and his belt, he, he will be girded with righteousness. And what else? Not just I'm right, but faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. He's faithful. He's righteous. He's, he's one that's worthy to bow before. Worthy to serve. Worthy to run to and find rest and hope and truth. And then it says, the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together. A child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be the land, here it is. What brings peace? The land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord 
as the sea is filled with the water. Now, right now we know in part, Paul says, but one day we'll see face to face and we'll know in full and be known in full. And the knowledge of the Lord will be a hope that wells up in us and a strength that wells up in us and a peace that surpasses all understanding. Why? Because the Lord is coming again. The Lord is coming again. And He will, he will make all things right. He will be the rightful King and He will be the priest interceding for us. And He will have ultimate dominion in faithfulness and in righteousness and bring us ultimate peace. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and, and pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. As they do, I, I want to encourage you with a, a term, a Greek term called Maranatha. Maranatha. That, that is the term that was used back and forth between the apostles and the early church. and They, they would say it means the Lord comes or Lord comes swiftly. And that is what we should want, right? Our desire is, is not that, hey, thanks God for saving me and rescuing me. Thanks for forgiving me. Thanks for rising again. And I can't wait for one day. But our attitude should be, I can't wait for one day. Come swiftly, Lord. Maranatha. We don't just sit here waiting like, okay, I'm going to have a great life and do what I want now. And then one day it'll be all taken care of. No, I want that one day. We should live longing for that one day. Longing for the peace and the dominion and the rule and reign of the just one, the righteous one, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. We're going to sing a few songs together. And I, I want you to know our... Our, our elders, ministry leaders will have a name tag looking like, like this on. And, uh, and after service, if you want to talk to one of them and say hi or pray, that's fine. I'm actually going to stand up down in front here. And if you would like to pray, if you have a need that you would like to be prayed over, I'd love to pray for you as we, as we worship, as we respond. These last few songs are a time of response. We ask our children to come back in and, and be a part of that with us and to, and to sing songs of praise to Jesus from what they've just learned as well. And from our heart, we are to sing praises to Jesus. And, and maybe now it's that time to quiet your heart. And maybe not sing, but, but think about the song as it's sung. Maybe think about the message that God has given us. Think about what he wants to do in your heart and the places he wants to be actually Lord and King. The places he might be shattering. And just humble yourself. And when you do, you'll find that peace. All right? God, thank you so much for the peace that only comes from Christ. We ask now that as we enter into a time of response and worship to you, that God, you would, you would shatter any little corner kingdom that we have in our heart, any place that is not being submitted to you, Lord, um, that we, we would let you shatter that. We'd humble ourselves so you would bring peace. God, for those who do not know you, whose blood is on their own skin still and will be on your robe, God, I pray that they would understand they can exchange their sin, their filthy rags with your righteousness, that they would turn in faith to Jesus Christ because while the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. May they turn to you and repent of their sin and, and turn to you in faith that they might be rescued and saved and forgiven and find hope. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.